Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and we are at church on Sunday. What a great place to be. And we are continuing our series on true self-care, true self-care. And my heart in this series is to really give practical, biblical, spiritual help and advice um, and the moments that we truly need some self-care. I think that we're not always focused on self-care until we're going through something. And then when we need uh, help, we generally look anywhere we can and we end up finding these random ideas on social media about self-care that I think are usually unhelpful. Um, But today, we're going to be talking specifically about how to recover from disaster. How to recover from disaster. Um, Have any of y'all watched that uh, Tiger King documentary? (laughs) I saw the first first season. I never watched the second one because it was like, all right, like one time is a charm, but... um, there's that one scene that was like the best meme ever, and it's that scene where he's, uh, someone gets their hand bit off by a tiger, and Joe Exotic's response is, I'm never going to financially recover from this. <laughs> and um, that's the way I feel whenever I do like the, <laughs> whenever I get the, the, the free 15-day uh, premium for like a subscription and then forget to cancel it, that's exactly how I feel. Oh, I'm never going to financially recover from this. Um, but... When disaster does strike, it, it puts us in this, um, this desperation mode to where we don't know how we're going to recover. And we, uh, we often go to things that are toxic, unhealthy, or even things that we're uh, familiar with from our past to try to recover from disaster. Um, and today I want us to unpack a biblical and spiritual way of bouncing back. Um, and that leads us to our first point, which is having a bounce back moment. A bounce back moment. Make hope your strength instead of your pity. Make hope your strength instead of your pity. What I mean by that is generally the way that hope is often talked about or discussed is almost like in a pitiful way. Like, I really hope this is going to happen. And it's just kind of like this very sorrowful, like pitiful way of like wanting or hoping for something. But when we look at what hope is, it's almost like this determined faith. It's really the application of faith, of of moving forward even though everything looks bad. That's what hope is. It's not this pitiful, sorrowful, defeated word. It's actually a very strong uh, strong and um, uh, motivated word to, to move forward even though everything is against you. And so I want us to look at the story of David in 1 Samuel chapter 30, starting in verse 1. It says, Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amicalites uh, had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. So in this moment of David's life, he is exiled from his homeland. He's living with the Philistines, which is his nation's enemies. 
And when the Philistines were about to go and battle against Saul uh, and the Israelites, David brought his men to go fight with the Philistines. And they sent him home saying this would be the perfect opportunity for David to, to turn on us to be able to uh, win favor back with his home. And so they sent him back. And as they return back, they come back to their camp and it's completely decimated. All of their belongings are taken away. All of their children, all of their wives are taken. And everything that's left is being burned with fire. It goes on to say, When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voice and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because his son and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So I want us to really unpack this scene because this disaster is an extremely low point for all of them, especially David. It says that they wept until they had no more strength to weep. I mean, that is a, a, this isn't just like them being dramatic. This is them being at the worst point of their lives to where they have no hope. They feel like they're already banished from their homeland. They're already living with the enemy because it's better than home. And on top of everything that they've gone through, everything that they built to this point was completely destroyed. They wept until they had no more strength to weep. And we must take into account the emotional history of David to better understand this extreme heaviness that he carried in this single moment. He was an experienced veteran. He was an experienced veteran that, was, that had been exiled from his homeland, the nation in which he risked his life for, the nation in which he shed blood for, the nation in which he killed for, has exiled him. This alone is a heavy burden of injustice that he has to carry. And so now he's been forced to align himself with his enemies. The very people he fought are treating him better than his own people, than his own blood. And in this moment that he and his men were sent back to their camp, they find all of their wives, all of their children, and all of their belongings have been taken from them. And all that was left is on fire and in ashes. Their homes, their beds, everything built burnt down. This is sorrow upon sorrow. This is when bad things get worse. And now at this extremely low point in which David himself has lost everything, including his wives, all the people began to blame it all on David. And he was being looked at as fully responsible for what had happened, even though he had done absolutely nothing wrong. He didn't do anything to cause this. And he is being blamed even as he is suffering. It's one thing when we suffer, but to have to carry the, this burden of blame on top of suffering, it's his sorrow upon sorrow. This is disastrous. So now that we have better understanding of this moment for David with the full picture of his current emotional state, 
this is the extreme low point of David's life. Come, uh, all of this, all this happening, all this recent emotional history, we can see that he's in an extremely rock bottom point. And then the passage says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David had this inner hope that God wouldn't leave him like this. This, this moment right here, David strengthened himself. I often wondered, how do we do that? <laughs> how, do we, how do you just strengthen yourself in God? And this is the epitome of what real hope is. This is what hope is supposed to be. The strength that you find even though you can't see it. That's what hope is. It's not this pitiful moment where David's like, well, I hope we get them all back. He's strengthening himself and encouraging himself in the Lord, believing that God would not leave him like this, that God was still with him even though everything seemed bad. Most of us, if not all of us, have been in these moments where it seemed like everything was extremely bad. Like everything was extremely bad. And David, in here, reminds himself of this hope that he has in God. And he uses this hope and ignores the fears and the voices around him. Not only the inner demons that he has to battle. Think about all the, the, the thoughts that we get when we go through something difficult. When something bad happens, do you not think to yourself, like you have these, these deep, dark thoughts where you say... This, uh, of course this would happen because nothing I do works. We get thoughts like that, right? No, everything, I, everything I try always fails. Everything David has tried up to this point has seemed to fail. All the, all, this, God just has it out for me. All those negative thoughts that we get, he has to have those inner demons that he has to fend off. And the literal people around him talking of actually stoning him to death. Not just disgruntled, like, oh, they're, they're moody all the time. <laughs> of course I'm moody. I'm, I'm, I'm really discouraged in my life right now. No, this is not just people criticizing his, his emotional state. It's not people criticizing his current behavior. These are people who are literally going through anguish themselves and blaming him for everything to the point where they want to kill him. This is extreme. So as he's fending up those voices, as well as his inner voices, having to choose to ignore fear, he puts his hope in God. He says, God is able. I think this is the, the real big turning point in David's life. Because it's after this point where, it's really after this point where his life really actually starts to come to alignment to what he was promised. After this point, when everything uh, blows over, is when he becomes king. And see, it's, it's like moments like this to where we're given the choice to give up on those hopes that we believe that God has given us, to turn pitiful, or to strengthen ourselves in the Lord and, and, and solidify the hope that we have deep in our heart and just build on that foundation. Make it a solid, solid, concreted foundation. I believe that the building of hope is one of the hardest processes of our faith. Because we imagine that it just becomes. 
But I imagine, uh, what I see is hope is a lot more like building a foundation of a house. It's, it doesn't look like much when you're building a foundation. It's, it actually looks like you didn't do much at all. But it takes most of the work to dig out all these rocks, to get all the things that don't belong in that ground, all the things that don't belong in our heart, getting rid of all this junk, and then evening it out, and then laying cement. And that, that moment that that cement is laid, or, or filled, whatever term it's supposed to be, <laughs> whenever that cement is there, I think that is the hardest part in building our hope. Because it's not firm enough yet to really build on. You can't do anything with it. It's like this waiting period. And that's where David is right now. He's worked on his character tremendously up to this point. Got rid of all of this pride in his heart. Got rid of all of this junk in his heart. He's gotten so much out of the way and has become a refined charactered person who trusts in the Lord. And this is a moment where all of the cement is drying. He has nowhere to go. And this is just a moment where he's waiting. And it's in that moment where hope is truly tested. And it's a solidifying process. But if we strengthen our hope, it's strengthening that concrete. To where if you, if you allow yourself to trust God in those moments and build that strong hope, it's a, it's a, laying, it's a solidifying of concrete that can't just be chipped away. It, and you can actually build on that. It's the difference in this kind of strengthening hope and pitiful hope. The difference is the confidence of that hope being fulfilled. The confidence of that hope being fulfilled, which is really the confidence within trusting God. So let's move on in this story, which is after we get this idea, if we capture this hope and strengthen ourselves in God, it's the next part of recovering from disaster is really understanding that numbers don't matter. As some of y'all learned earlier, I'm actually pretty OCD. Right, Rosa? <laughs> I'm pretty OCD. And so even for my kids' birthdays, my, my first daughter, she was born on April 25th. And when we were waiting for Jules, uh, they told us the, the expected delivery date and it's going to be around anywhere between may and june and i was like as we were getting closer and closer it was like may 20th and i was like oh my gosh this would be perfect if she could just be born on may 26th that'd be really cool because joy her birthday is april 25th and then jules could be june uh may 26th and my birthday is june 27th it's numerically perfect she was born on june 1st so <laughs> that was god's way of saying not today numbers don't matter <laughs> but numbers don't matter what i'm getting at with this is that having god with you doesn't require the best circumstances having god with you doesn't require the best circumstances look at what happens it says in the next passage then david said to abiathar the priest the son of amalek please bring me the ephod so abiathar 
brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. So David went, and he and the six hundred men who were with him, and came to the brook of Bazar, where those left behind remain. But David pursued, and he and four hundred men, for two hundred who were too exhausted to cross the brook of Bazar remained behind. So in this moment, two very distinct things happen in this passage. One, God gives a word of assurance to David. God gives a word of assurance to David. He just builds on the hope that David already has. He gets this word and he, he just gets like this green light to his faith, this encouragement to his faith. He says, let's run with that. And then something else very, very distinct happens. It says that he had 600 men with him and a third of them are too exhausted to continue on. So meaning all of the men are extremely exhausted to the point where one third of them truly felt like they could not go on from here. That, this is extreme exhaustion. The rest of the men are also exhausted, but so exhausted to where a third of them, 200 men, say, we can't go past here. We're going to wait here. They're, you're talking about the, their chance to win back their families, their belongings, their wives, and, and they couldn't find the physical strength to continue on. Okay? And so this is, in this moment, the circumstances get even worse. Increase of faith, worse circumstances. And this is a moment where I feel like most people get extremely confused when they're in the midst of recovering from disaster. The moment where you found the way to the inner strength to just hope and believe God and continue going. And then something else happens. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It seems like disaster after disaster. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, how am I going to find the inner strength to get up this time? And it seems like the circumstances just get worse. And this is a moment where David presses on and continues forward. Why? Because of that hope, that strong, unfiltered hope, this unexplainable faith that he has that God will deliver them, that God will give them victory, that God will give them redemption in this moment. It's this unbridled faith, this, this unstoppable hope that he has that goes past all of their circumstances. Everyone goes through difficult circumstances. And things seem to get worse before they get better in this moment. And usually when stuff like this happens, it sends us into a spiral of self-pity while turning our expectations of hope into certain defeat. And faith for David speaks a better word than his circumstances. God consistently shows up at the worst times of our lives and is able to turn them into the best times through this miraculous redemption moment. We will see disaster in our lives and we will most likely see things get worse. We must understand that things do get worse sometimes. And I think that it's 
it's better to not be surprised. What is that old saying? The, the worst fight to be in is the one that you don't know you're in. When you, have, when you have an idea that it is normal to expect things to get worse, you can, it helps you to better walk in faith without looking at the circumstances. It doesn't, it's not this surprising thing like, oh, things got worse. Is God out to get me? No, that's just bound to happen. Keep pressing forward. And, and these moments of uh, this miraculous redemption, we're able to see these worst times turn into the best times. And these moments are true tests of our faith and our inner strength. You must believe God and His ability to make things work out. It doesn't matter how it's going to work out, but just believing that things will work out. We have to throw off this fear and keep moving forward, even though circumstances may get worse. Fear says stop, while faith says go. That's typically what it is. Now, I'm not going to get into the woodworks of like the times where there are times where faith literally says to wait, right? There's moments like that. But what I'm saying in general, fear usually has hesitation, while faith has persistence. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And what happens to a lot of people is we allow fear to manipulate us into stopping, yet at the same time labeling our fear into with faith. We stop and call it faith when deep down it's really because we're afraid. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And I want us to really be honest with ourselves in this moment, in these moments, because people often stop in their tracks out of fear, yet convince themselves that they're walking in faith when it's simply not so. They have, they've allowed themselves to be tricked by fear and to live in that fear rather than walking in faith the way God has spoken them to. And I think it, it requires a real transparency with yourself and honesty with yourself, simply asking yourself, am I afraid? Am I afraid of what's going to happen? And asking yourself, is that why I'm wanting to do this? Or am I wanting to do this because I really believe this is the faith God has given me? Is this what God is telling me to do? Be honest with yourself. Listen to God's voice and be honest with yourself. After this moment, David and his men have a complete victory. They, with even one-third of the, the, their, their battalion holding back, they have a complete victory over these raiders. They decimate them. They recover all of their belongings and then all of their stuff too. So the raiders got raided. And so when, uh, while they were at a complete lack before, now they have their stuff back and then some. They get all of their children back. They get all of their wives back. God's word proved true, and David was celebrated instead of stoned. <laughs> this is a, a moment where everything worked out, and it was just like the final scene in Star Wars Episode Six when everyone in the Ewoks were dancing and fireworks were going off. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> all of the fireworks going off, everyone's celebrating, the Empire has fallen. This is like just a beautiful moment where everyone is celebrating because of God's great victory. This is where we often imagine things to end. But there's one more point I want us to understand when it comes to recovering from disaster, and that is keeping a humble heart. 
keeping a humble heart. In doing that, it means giving grace because it reminds you that you need God's grace too. Giving grace reminds you that you need God's grace too. Let me read the last part of this passage. It goes on to say in 1 Samuel chapter 30, starting in verse 21. When David came to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David, who had also been left at the brook of Bazaar, and they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. Then David approached the people and greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men among them, among those who went with David, said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then David said, You must not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us, who has kept us and delivered into our hand the band that came against us, and who will listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. So in this moment, this scene ends with David facing those who left him before the battle and him being challenged to either give grace to them or to give them what they earned, which was nothing. And this, this point is a moment of true test of our hearts. It's a true test of David's heart and his character because in these kinds of moments, our hearts respond with either pride or humility. Those men said they will not get anything that we earned of ourselves. While David responds by saying it was God who delivered them into our hand. He reminds them that they were all exhausted, that number-wise they shouldn't have won, but that it was God that gave them the victory. And so in the same way that they didn't earn what they recovered, he says, these men will receive the same as we, because we didn't do anything to earn what we got. And that's a humble, humble heart. If David would have responded grudgingly to these people, like these men that that tried to, it would have allowed pride to blind him into thinking that that everything that had just happened was by his own strength instead of God's power. See, when we refuse to give grace... It puts us in the spot of pride of thinking, well, I had to go through the ringer, so you do too. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I I had to cut my teeth uh, working my way up. You got to do the same. But humility, grace says, man, I'm lucky to be here, so come on up. (laughs) It's by God's grace that I'm here. The least I could do is let you come too. See, it's... The difference is pride and humility. Extending grace always reminds us of the grace that we need. And so, just like in this moment where God's grace, uh, uh, extending God's grace fosters a humble heart, we should strive to live in this grace and giving forgiveness just as God has shown to each of us. He just so freely forgave these men for not being there when he needed them. And I want you to, I want us to end on this idea. Where are you in this story of God's grace? Where are you in this story of God's grace? Have you received God's grace of forgiveness for yourself? Have you had this moment of God's grace and forgiveness for yourself? 
Or is there someone on your heart right now that God wants you to extend grace and forgiveness towards? Is there someone on your heart right now that God is speaking to you about extending grace and forgiveness towards? Or maybe you are at a low point right now and need God to strengthen you. You need to move out of the, the pitiful hope and find the strengthening solid hope that we read about today. With all that being said, I want us to close our eyes and bow our heads. Wherever you are at in this story, I want to start by asking if you need this grace of forgiveness for yourself. Maybe you've never had a moment where you've trusted in Jesus Christ as this grace-giving Savior. You've never had a real moment, and you're seeing how God's, uh, God's grace is extended so freely in this story. And, you, and you've been maybe having in your mind that it's something that is earned. God's love is not earned, it's freely given. If you're here today and you want to receive that love for the very first time, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. So if that was you, I want you to just pray to Jesus yourself. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, that surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you talk to God with a, uh, in a genuine conversation, acknowledging what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection for you, that that's all it takes to start a relationship with Him. That's all it takes to start a journey with Him. The word repentance isn't a mean, dirty word. Repentance just means change of direction. And so many of us, get to a point in our life to where we, we come to God and we change directions. We were walking far away from Him and now we want to walk towards Him. That's all that repentance is. So if that's you, just have that own conversation with God. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can talk to God yourself. Now, for the rest of you, if you're here and you're at a moment where maybe you feel like you're at a low point and you need the strengthening hope in your life, with every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. God, right now I pray for you to strengthen your people. I pray that you speak a word to them, a specific word, make them sensitive to your voice, and cause them to truly hear from you, to feel you in this moment, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and that they would be able to Really hold on to this word as a, as a, a hope, a strength and hope to move on, to move forward. And that you would help them to walk by faith and not by their fears. And that they wouldn't look at the circumstances, but that they would look at your promises. I thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. And I want to ask one last thing. If you're here and God has been putting on your heart somebody specifically, that you need to extend grace and forgiveness to. With every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. So there to yourself, I want you to just pray to God about this person. I want you to, to tell God who they are. And I want you to tell God what it is that you've been holding against them. And I want you to just simply tell God, I release them to you. I have been freely given grace, and I want to give grace to them. I pray that you help them to find you, 
I pray that you help them and encourage them in their life. I pray that you bless them like you have blessed me. In Jesus' name, I thank you for all these things, Lord, and how you're speaking to us and softening our hearts. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. With that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. Before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you all so much. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.